0: Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Thursday, the Ides of October, October 15th. Today, back in the day, October 15th, 1966, the Black Panther Party was founded. In the early to mid 20th century, thousands of African Americans fled the southern United States. As they moved, though, into the north and west, they encountered new forms of racism and new forms of poverty, which would demand a new form of politics. By the 1960s, the civil rights movement had made a great deal of progress in dismantling Southern Jim Crow laws, but not as much had changed in the rest of the country. In Oakland, California, racist policing and brutality inspired two college students, Bobby Seal and Huey P. Newton, to form a new Black Power movement. At the time, only 2.5% of the Oakland police force was Black. Inspired by Malcolm X and other Black Power leaders, Newton extensively studied California gun laws. He believed that by practicing their right to open carry, black Americans could find a new form of political power. They formed the Black Panther Party. And two months later, the first armed police-watching patrols hit the streets. And let me tell you, the reaction of conservative whites was different than their reaction to the white MAGA open carry folks now. Patrols followed police officers, recorded any instances of brutality. When confronted by the police, the patrols would insist they had not, in fact, broken any laws. As the Black Panther Party grew, they also started a number of social welfare programs. They built community health clinics, provided free food to families in need. However, they gained a reputation in the press for open hostility. In 1967, just one year after the party's founding, California legislators passed the Mulford Act, which banned what? The open carrying of weapons. 26 armed Black Panther members disrupted the session. The bill was quickly signed by the noted gun control advocate, California Governor Ronald Reagan. After signing the bill, Reagan insisted it would, quote, work no hardship on the honest citizen, end quote. Membership in the Black Panther Party peaked in 1968. That same year, Huey Newton was convicted of manslaughter and Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And today, back in the day, October 15, 1969, millions of Americans joined the moratorium to end the war in Vietnam. By that time, the U.S. had been involved in Vietnam for over 14 years. The moratorium arose from activist Jerome Grossman's call for a general strike. Former campaign workers for Eugene McCarthy would later frame the day as a moratorium rather than a strike. They felt that calling it a moratorium would make the event more respectable to the general public. The hippie movement was relatively unpopular then. They also wanted the demonstrations to be held in community spaces rather than on university campuses so that the, quote, heartland folks felt it belonged to them. On October 15th, millions of people demonstrated across the country. Around a quarter of a million people, led by Coretta Scott King, marched through Washington, D.C. They carried lit candles down Pennsylvania Avenue, mourning the lives lost. Hundreds of thousands more gathered in Boston, New York, Detroit. Teach-ins were held across the country. The moratorium demonstrations were completely peaceful. Despite that, President Richard Nixon flatly rejected both the demonstrations and their demands. Here was his quote, Policy made in the streets equals anarchy. A few weeks later, Nixon responded to the moratorium in a televised address. He asked for the support of the silent majority. That phrase might now sound familiar. Response to that speech was highly positive. Nixon's approval ratings rose sharply in the following weeks. Shortly after that was the My Lai Massacre, during which U.S. soldiers killed around 500 unarmed civilians, and about half a million people marched through Washington, D.C. Nixon watched the protests obsessively, but said to the press, Under no circumstances will I be affected whatever by it. He also joked about using helicopters to blow out the protesters' candles. That all might sound just a little familiar. Today we'll have your Quick 6 News headlines, and Emily Green, managing editor of Street Roots, will offer their election endorsements. X-Ray. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. An ex-Lapid Motor Company employee has filed a $1.4 million lawsuit alleging that the Portland-used car dealership had covered up a coronavirus outbreak. Sean McCrary of Portland was fired during a staff meeting for questioning the company's alleged cover-up of a coronavirus cluster. McCrary sued Lappin Motor Company and its owner, Leo Lapin, in a wrongful discharge and whistleblower suit this month. McCrary alleged that Lappin berated, assaulted, and fired him in an alcohol and drug-induced rage on July 31st. According to the lawsuit, Lapin showed up late to work, was noticeably drunk during the staff meeting, and when he grabbed McCrary's arm and screamed, Everyone, everyone, Sean is fired. Get the out of my company. McCurry argues that Lappin directed employees to conceal a COVID-19 outbreak in order to keep the business open and make profits. According to the suit, at least two workers in the showroom on Southeast Holgate Boulevard have tested positive along with their significant others. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. Health authority reporting 390 new cases and three new deaths as of Wednesday. That brings us over 38,000 cases and 608 confirmed deaths. And outside of Oregon, Donald Trump's youngest son, Baron, has also tested positive. Melania Trump, who had tested positive earlier this month, announced in a personal essay post on the White House website that Barron Trump had tested positive. Melania said that Barron exhibited no symptoms that he had since tested negative. Hope you feel better, kid. The Portland Auditor has noted an improvement in the city's handling of the cannabis tax. Portland has been collecting and allocating cannabis tax money with greater accountability and transparency, according to the city auditor. According to that report, since the May 19 audit, key recommendations have either been made or on their way. The issue gained some media attention this year when activists pointed out the spending was being funneled to the police bureau. All that was happening amid a wider call to defund the police and transform community safety. The audit in 2019 found that 80% of the money from the 3% tax on cannabis was in fact spent on public safety. Just 16% was addressing small business prohibition effects and 5% went towards drug and alcohol programs. In June, the city council voted to redirect $2.3 million from that cannabis tax revenue that had been earmarked to the police bureau but they have not yet voted on what to do with the money instead in the 2020-2021 to budget. They have voted to put $453,000 into a social equity grant program, bringing the total allocation to that program up to a million dollars. Mary Nolan and Chris Smith debated, and that debate turned into a campaign finance debate about fossil fuels. Nolan and Smith are both running to represent Portland on the Metro Council. They debated on Tuesday night. They're both Democrats. They hold some overlapping views. Nolan and Smith are running to represent District 5. That spans Northwest, North, and Northeast Portland. Mayor Metro covers Clackamas and Washington County, so the districts are pretty big. When Dana Haynes, managing editor of the Pamplin Media Group, asked the candidates to differentiate themselves, the virtual debate became a bit heated. Nolan talked about how she was accomplished, had a long track record of delivering results, and argued that Smith didn't seem to value convening. She also criticized him for vilifying her for accepting money from a gas company political action committee who used fracked gas. Smith responded that he doesn't alienate his colleagues and defended his framing that Nolan has received money from fracking companies. Law enforcement may not have identified themselves before firing on shooting suspect Michael Rhino. OPB reporting following the shooting of a pro-Trump demonstrator in August. Prosecutors charged Antifa activist Michael Rhino with murder. After five-day search, local law enforcement, which had since been deputized as U.S. Marshals, shot and killed Rinald. The details of that shooting have been murky ever since. There was no body cam, no surveillance footage available from that evening, and official accounts have sometimes conflicted. Some officers reported that Rinald pointed a gun at them. Others said Rinald was going for the gun in his pocket. According to new eyewitness accounts obtained by OPB and ProPublica, the officers did not identify themselves as law enforcement before firing. They also did not use their lights or their sirens. According to one witness, there was no drop your weapon, no freeze, no police, no warning at all. The three witnesses to the shooting have not been interviewed by law enforcement, leaving a lot of uncertainty into how the shooting unfolded. A ripple of hope, Portland Free Fridge is bringing fresh food closer to the hungry. Portland Free Fridge has become a national trend. It has its roots right here in the Rose City. The Portland Free Fridge is a community effort that provides access to fresh food to various neighborhoods across the city. The fridges started popping up in July and August. There are now more than a dozen of them in Portland and Beaverton. Everyone is invited to take free food and donations to restock the shelves. There are wonderful people out there doing beautiful things. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray, X-Ray. Up next, we have an interview with Emily Green, the managing editor of Street Roots. Emily will be speaking with X-Ray's Julia Oppenheimer about the nonprofit newspaper's endorsements for the 2020
1: election. Street Roots is a weekly nonprofit newspaper focusing on housing and social justice. Today, we're going to talk about the paper's endorsements for the 2020 election. Emily, good morning. Good morning, Julia. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We're really excited to be doing this with Street Roots every week. Um, I heard you guys just put out your endorsements. We did. This is always a really popular
2: issue. We've got vendors hitting the streets all over town today with a new edition of the paper, and it is our election issue. Um, as a 501c3, we can't endorse candidates, but we do put out endorsements for ballot measures that are relevant to our areas of new co- news coverage. And we've, al- we've also got some pretty good interviews with um, Portland City Council and mayoral candidates that really dive deeply into the housing crisis and um, homelessness in our city and what they will do to tackle that, because that's going to be at the forefront, especially following uh, the pandemic and the imminent eviction uh, cliff that we're facing.
1: Yeah. Do you anticipate um, mass evictions on January 1st? Um, we do. Uh,
2: it's likely the moratorium will get extended, um, but whenever they do finally lift the moratoriums on uh, rent that we're seeing statewide and, you know, in the county and city, uh, we are expecting mass eviction because a lot of people haven't been paying rent. They probably aren't able to save up to pay all the rent that's going to be due. Mm-hmm. And we're already seeing that evictions are happening a lot. Landlords are just relying more on contractual um, mechanisms for evicting people such as noise ordinance and things like that um, as opposed gotcha. to non payment of rent but it happens to be people that aren't paying rent
1: uh-huh so there i i'm not as familiar but the moratorium is only on people not paying rent it's not for other reasons
2: that, um it is, that true? is you can't evict someone for demolition or anything like that right now but it's mainly to protect people who aren't able to pay rent because they've been impacted by
1: the coronavirus pandemic sure um, do you notice, cause I feel like I notice more and more every time I drive around Portland, I notice more and more tent cities popping up. Is there, um, like less regulation on that or just, I know there's no evictions. I think there, was there also something about no, um, no moving of tent cities?
2: Yeah. Um, that's funny. Ted Wheeler mentioned in his interview with us too, that he's noticed a real increase in the number of people on the streets, especially women, but the city has really slowed down on sweeps and cl- camp cleanups. Uh, they they haven't stopped entirely, but the idea is that continuing to shuffle people around um, will just help the virus spread. So right. they've they've definitely um, lightened up on that quite a bit.
1: So is that a good thing, in your opinion? Um, do you don't have to man- answer that if you don't
2: want to. Oh no, that's all right. I think you know what we've seen at street routes is that for some people being able to have one place to live as opposed to being shuffled around continuously has allowed them to um, have a little more stability and focus on things other than, you know, where am I going to sleep tonight? Mm -hmm. How am I going to get across town to pick up my items Um, and things of that nature?
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So let's talk about some of these measures. Let's talk about measure 110, the drug decommissionary decriminalization measure?
2: Yeah, so this uh, measure would move all small amounts, possession of small amounts of drugs from a misdemeanor to a class E violation. Um, And rather than being arrested and prosecuted and potentially jailed, um, a person would be faced with either paying a $100 fine or in lieu of that fine, taking a health assessment at an addiction recovery center. Um, this, uh, measure would fund more beds for, uh, inpatient, uh, drug and alcohol treatment with the creation of a grant program, and it would create a bunch of addiction recovery centers. And it would pay for all this, uh, with taking cannabis taxes over 45 million and diverting it into this program. Um, this bill does have a few flaws. Um, some of that money, that would be going to pay for it was, would otherwise be going to already underfunded mental health um, treatment programs and schools, you know, two things we don't really like to see money taken away mm-hmm. from. And, um, you know, some vocal opponents are people in recovery who say if it weren't for the criminal justice system forcing them into treatment, they never would have gone. But we are um, endorsing this measure. We say vote yes. Uh, because we just fundamentally disagree that punishing people into treatment is the best way to help people who are dealing with substance use disorder, which is a health issue, not a criminal issue. Um, and we desperately need more treatment beds in the state. I mean, we have ranked 48th out of 50 states um, for the number of people who need treatment but are not receiving it, wow. according to recent you know, data. That's a striking um, number. Yeah,
1: you there's know, and two I will say, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just, gonna, I was just emphasizing. There's only two states worse at this than we are, apparently.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I mean, and we do, we do, we don't really see that this measure achieves the goal of necessarily completely helping people avoid the stigma and consequence of a criminal record, um, which we know at street routes firsthand, you know, it can be a terrible thing. It it limits your employment opportunities, your housing opportunities. Um, And the reason I say that is just because a violation still goes on your public record. Um, While most landlords and employers are only looking at criminal records, there's nothing to stop them from requesting this information, you know, Mm. should drug possession become a, a civil violation instead. But all that being said, you know, this is a step in the right direction. We need to take it now. And we think that opportunities in the future will arise to fix some of the issues that may emerge. Um, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Baby steps. Exactly. What uh, What's your guys' position on Measure 109, the psilocybin therapy measure?
2: We, we are saying uh, vote yes on this one. Um, psilocybin is the... Uh, active ingredient, if you will, in uh, magic mushrooms or psychedelic mushrooms. Um, And this bill would make it uh, legal for people to take uh, doses of psilocybin in controlled medical settings with a medical professional Um, program would be overseen by the Oregon Health Authority, and it would have two years to design and implement the program. This doesn't mean, you know, the day after the measure passes. If it does, you can go out and, you know, get mushroom therapy. But studies have shown um, that this can be a helpful treatment uh, in PTSD and depression. I've, I've seen that some other editorial boards have, um, including the Oregonian, are saying vote no because um, we're not completely through all the trials with the FDA at this point. But this is not a new idea. Um, indigenous cultures have used this therapy for hundreds of years. I mean, you can go to Oaxaca right now and partake. In a mushroom retreat where you can uh, go through a ceremony focused mushroom experience um, at different centers down there. And, you know, both PTSD and depression can be really debilitating uh, mental illnesses. And if there's a drug like this, one that's non habit forming and relatively low risk, and it helps people manage their illnesses, uh, we believe they should have access to it.
1: So does this measure, it doesn't just legalize mushrooms? Like you can't just go out on the street and buy mushrooms now, right? Or if it passes?
2: <laughs> no, no. Um, it would only, you'd have to get it prescribed from your doctor and actually take it in a medical setting through kind of a guided therapy. Um, and some of uh, these sessions are actually already taking place uh, underground here in Oregon. Uh, our reporter, Christian McCurdy, interviewed a medical professional that's been taking people on these guided sessions and one of her patients who found it really psychologically helpful and it pretty much uh, his experience was going out to her cabin in the woods putting on some headphones listening to music and uh, she kind of talked him through some of his feelings Um, and it's a relatively you know low dose of the drug that people Uh are taking.
1: Is that is that article in this is in this issue or a pre, or a previous issue? Oh, uh, that was a previous
2: issue. That okay. was in our September thirtieth issue, but you can read it online cool. at streetroots.org.
1: Would this measure um, have any effect on the aggressive prosecution of drugs in our in our community? Does it address well, prosecution of drug related?
2: No, I mean, this is mainly just for medical settings, although, you know, if Measure 110 passes, then pose- personal use possession of mushrooms is included in that, and people would no longer be prosecuted for that. But, you know, it, as you recall, I'm sure, with marijuana, first, you know, it was legalized for me- medicinal use, and then later recreational use. And honestly, um, with magic mushrooms you know it's non-habit forming low risk people have already you know been taking these pretty um widely in the pacific northwest at concerts and music festivals (laughs) Um, we just don't think prosecuting for uh using mushrooms is a good use of resources so if this is a stepping stone toward you know legalization for recreational use you know we're all for that
1: Uh uh-huh Switching gears a little bit, let's talk about preschool for all. That's been a, a hot topic in this upcoming election, Measure 20-214. Yeah, so this is a
2: Multnomah County uh, measure, and it would create free preschool for all three- and four-year-olds in the county by placing a 1.5% um, tax on people making 125000 or more per year or a, a couple making 200000 or more per year. And we actually uh, started looking into preschool as we were in, uh, investigating different ways that we could prevent the next generation of homelessness. And preschool emerged uh, pretty quickly as a solution. Uh, Head Start, which is a uh, subsidized after-school program or, and preschool program that is available to some people who, benef- uh, who qualify, has been really well studied and what they've seen is that um toddlers who are at the most risk benefit the most uh being in preschool can actually change their life trajectories wow. um and it is a benefit
1: to all kids really I, fact, I, I i go, go ahead. ahead please continue um I spoke
2: to Suzanne Cohen, who is president of the Portland Association of Teachers, uh, back when I was looking at this, and she said that kindergarten teachers actually uh, cried when they heard about this measure coming on the ballot, just because they can see such a big difference in the kids coming into their classrooms that have had preschool uh, as compared with kids who don't. It just, even from that early stage, um, sets kids up for just a much better um, pathway and this bill, you know, it, it really kinda has it all. It really tackles all the issues that we have um with preschool in in our county. Uh for one, I mean you hear about people who save up for their kids' college funds. Well, child care, not even preschool, just child care for a toddler in Multnomah County costs twice as much as tuition at Oregon State Universities. It's just, you know, absolutely outrageous. Wow.
1: Another and at the number same
2: time, you, you know, you've got parents paying over a thousand dollars a month for tuition, and then the workers aren't even getting living wages. And this measure, um, it it would make it free, and it would make sure that preschool teachers are paid on par with kindergarten teachers, and even their assistants would get a living wage.
1: Wow, I was thinking at it more from the perspective of how nice it probably would be for parents to have free access to preschool, and you brought up the how beneficial it is for children so that's a whole you know it seems like a win 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 yeah absolutely we're, we're we're definitely urging a yes vote on this measure cool well emily green it has been a pleasure to talk to you um how can people get a copy of this week's newspaper uh find your neighborhood vendor they're out and about all over town all
2: week um This week in our paper, we featured uh, vendor Amelia Lake. She sells at the Starbucks on Northwest 11th and Cooch Street. Um, You can also sign up for our newsletter newsletter, um, at streetroots.org, and we often um, tell people about different sales locations.
1: Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Julia. Take care. You too. Have a great day.
0: Thanks to Emily for joining the local and thank you for listening to the local your hometown in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving your 5-star review and thank you democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-ray, X-ray, X-ray. X-ray, X-ray.